Good morning. Whoa, that works. Hello. Good morning. Are you all awake now? <laughs> My name is Mike Lilly. I'm one of the pastors here at King of Grace. Uh, Paul asked me to preach this morning on one of our seven shared values, that is, with our family of churches uh, called Sovereign Grace Churches. I don't know if you're familiar with them necessarily, if you haven't been coming here long, but uh, you can find out uh, about those churches, more about that family of churches, if you go to their website at www.sovereigngrace.com. And these uh, seven shared values are held by all of our churches. So if you're a pastor um, at preaching at one of these churches, you've agreed to these seven shared values. If you're a church within our family of churches, you've agreed to these seven shared values. Uh, and again, you can find all of those shared values on the website. In fact, as soon as you go up there in the top left corner, there's typically a little thing up there that says our seven shared values. Today, I'm actually going to talk to you, though, about the sixth shared value. Um, and if you could bring that up, please. Sorry, this is a little. The sixth shared value is one that is near and dear to my heart. It's church planting, outreach, and missions. If you've known me for any length of time, you can understand why I get pretty stoked about this one. Let me, uh, you can read along as I read it so you can hear and understand how this is described. It says, our gospel centrality entails not only treasuring the gospel personally, but sharing it passionately. The risen Christ commissioned his church to make disciples of all nations. We believe that commission falls to us too, and to us and to all believers. And that it is fulfilled in a primary way through church planting, whereby the gospel is proclaimed and converts are formed into communities of disciples. We are eager to pursue this mission, relying fully on the Holy Spirit to see the gospel proclaimed and churches planted throughout the world, that God may be glorified among every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. There are, a few, there are a few things that I am more passionate about than the things that are encompassed in that statement. I am excited, and I get excited, and I get pumped when I get to think of our glorious gospel and how it transformed my life. And that I get to share that with other people. I have the great privilege of being able to take up this incredible message that we've been given in the gospel. This message of salvation. And I have the incredible privilege of being able to take it to the nations. And it excites me that I belong to a group of churches that feel the same way and have pastors who I know personally who are passionate about taking the gospel to the lost. Amen? We are blessed to be part of that family of churches. You know, I stand here today 
because that, that line up there that talks about his church that says the risen Christ commissioned his church to make disciples of all nations. I stand here today because someone was a disciple maker. And that disciple maker shared the gospel with me. And from the time I believed, I've never been the same. I've never been the same because people continued to disciple. God transformed me through His Son, and people made sure that I was in the right, going in the right direction. I was discipled. I'm here today because way back in 1996, men began to disciple me. One of them sits here today. His name is Paul Buckley. Way back, Paul was doing that. I was, a sa- I was saved while I was attending a Sovereign Grace church. And from the beginning, men taught me the importance of the sovereignty of God, the incredible beauty of the gospel, the incredible beauty of God's grace extended to me through Jesus Christ, and the importance of evangelism and outreach. And it was taught to me, evangelism, outreach were taught to me almost from the very beginning. I mean like the first weeks I became a believer. They taught me how to evangelize. They taught me by bringing me out into community outreaches and saying, this is how you do it. And then I got to watch them do it. And then they put me in front of people to do it. They taught me how to share my testimony. And by watching and listening, I learned lots of ways to share the gospel and to tell my testimony. But at the same time, what they were really teaching me was how to disciple. They were modeling it for me. They were modeling disciple-making. And that's also been transformative in the way I live and what I believe. Today, what I'd like for us to, to look at in this passage that we have in Matthew 28, 18-20, is our call to be disciple-makers. I want you to clearly understand that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a disciple. And if you're a disciple, then you are one who is sent. You are one who is sent with the role of discipling others. And if you don't really believe that, I hope to prove that to you today. So let's take a look at our passage this morning, Matthew 28, 18-20. And while you're turning there, let me go into what we're going to talk about today so you have a little sense of it. We're going to read the, the passage, we're going to pray, and then I'm going to talk about three points out of this passage. The first is that Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. The second is that Jesus sends His disciples to make disciples. And the third is that Jesus promises to be with you as you go. So, let's take a look now at our passage. Matthew 28, 18-20. And Jesus came 
and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you care enough to send your Son. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved us so much that you commissioned your disciples and sent them into a waiting world. Thank you that that is our mission today as well, Lord. You are so good to us. Thank you that your promise is faithful and true that you will always be with us. So Lord, as this word goes forward today, Lord, I I just admit I desperately need you. Lord, would you speak your word today through me with power. Lord, may it accomplish all that you intend in the hearts of this people. Lord, and I pray that not a single person would leave this service today, that in one way or another throughout this service, that they have not been touched. That you have not spoken to them in some way. That their hearts are not stirred. That they are in some way transformed by your glorious gospel today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the first part of that passage, in verse 18, it says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what Christ says. It always surprises me when I talk to Christians about church planting in Salem. The kind of reactions you get. I hear things like, Enza and I hear things like, you're stupid. Yeah, really, that's the first one I hear. And I hear that one a lot. You're stupid, why would you do that? Okay, reasonable. That's a dark place. Are you sure you heard from God? Some people take a a more spiritual approach to it. We'll be praying for you because you're going to need it. Do you realize the amount of demonic activity in that city? Okay. And then, those who are concerned for our souls, do you feel that you've been spiritually equipped to go in and and deal with what you're going to see in Salem? And then, one of my favorites, why? I won't even go into that town. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am well aware that Satan is well and active in Salem, and I am quite sure that I haven't begun to see all the things that I am going to see before that church is planted and established and mature. And I don't want to underestimate the power of the enemy in any way. But I know this. Jesus told His disciples when He sent them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, I have confidence. I have confidence. As we prepare to set out on this plant, I have confidence that Christ has all authority in heaven and earth 
and I have the confidence that he goes with me and those who are going with us. Amen? Amen. But let's take a moment and look at what Jesus meant when he said that all authority had been given to him. When he says that, why does he say it? And what difference does it make to his disciples? And the question is really what, does it, what difference does it make to us today? And finally, who gave him that authority? And we're going to look at that last one first, and then we'll work our way through those other questions. So, let's look at who gave Jesus that authority to start with. The answer is found in many places, but one of them is Ephesians 1, 16 16-22. And here it's clearly stated in that passage that God is the giver of Christ's authority. God placed all things under Christ's feet. All rule and authority, all dominion, all power. God placed all of it under Christ's feet. Now, when we talk about heavenly places, so Christ said, I have been given all authority over all things, all things in heaven and on earth. In heaven and on earth. What does he mean by that? Well, he's talking about spiritual powers in the heavenly places. Beings like angels and, and demons. You may remember, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, Daniel 10. And in Daniel 10, there's an angel. Now, um, Daniel has been fasting and asking God about something specifically. And an angel arrives. Now, by the time this angel arrives, he's been fasting quite a while. He's at like at 40 days when this angel arrives. And this angel tells him that he had been delayed. He says, God heard you the first day you prayed, and I was sent to you, but I've been delayed by the prince of Persia. And God sent the angel, the archangel Michael to do battle with him so that now I'm able to come to you and deliver this message. Well, who is this prince of Persia that he's, that he's referring to? It's actually not the man, some prince of Persia. It is actually referring to a spiritual authority. See, because that's how Satan sets things up. Satan isn't omniscient. He's not all-powerful. He can't be every place at once because he's not God. He's a created being, and he's limited. So he set up structures like governments, almost like we have on the earth. And he has set up certain demonic authorities over regions to be in charge of them. And that's the prince of Persia that he's fighting against, this angel that the angel's fighting against there. And it had the power to delay the angel sent by God. Now you might be saying to yourself, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. How did Satan get power on earth? Well, that's a great question to be asking. The short answer to that question is found in Genesis 1 and 2. Sorry, you got to go back that far. Because what happens in Genesis 1, in Genesis 2, God gives dominion and authority to man. Right? Gives him dominion over the whole earth. What happens? Man 
who is supposed to be in a loving relationship with God, giving him all of his work, giving God worship, giving him his loving obedience, instead sins. He follows Satan. And the authority that he had been given to have dominion over the earth was transferred at that point to Satan. That's why when you read something like 2 Corinthians 4.4, it says that Satan is the God of this earth. Small g, not capital G, like God, as in Yahweh God. Small g, as in he has authority over this earth. But when Christ comes and lives a perfect life in obedience to the law and is crucified for men so that their sin is forgiven, this power that Satan has through sin is broken. Jesus is buried and raised by the power of God. Jesus did what Adam didn't do. He was obedient perfectly to God for his entire life. And where Adam, the first man, failed, and dominion and authority that had been given to man was handed over to Satan, now Jesus lives that perfect life in perfect obedience. And that power that Satan had is broken. Amen? So that's what's going on when Christ comes. He raises from the dead, and and that power that Satan had over death, that he held over us because of sin, is also broken. And that's the power of God to raise Christ from the dead. It's the same power that works in us today as believers. Amen? Amen. So Christ has been given authority over the heavenlies, over the things in the heavenlies, and the things on earth. So what are the things on earth? Well, kings, presidents, rulers, business tycoons, generals of armies. You, me. There's authority over all things on earth. And that includes weather. That includes disasters. That includes... You name it. He has authority over all things on earth. So, when Christ says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, what He's telling His disciples is that they don't need to fear. They don't need to be afraid because they're operating under His authority. And He has authority over all things. The reality is that nothing in heaven or in earth can stop them. Because they're operating under Christ's authority. For his disciples, this meant that Christ was everything he had promised to be. He was the promised Messiah. He was sitting and is sitting on a throne. And he does have power over all things on heaven and on earth. So in the end... No power or no force on heaven and earth can stop Christ. Nor can it stop His church from going forward. Because Christ said, I will build my church. Amen? And so, as the disciples would go forth, this became a great source of hope. You'll find it throughout the Scriptures that they are operating in the authority of Christ. That was a source of hope to them. And it should be a source of hope to us 
as we go forward as well. Now, it doesn't mean that you will not have persecution. You will. It doesn't mean that you won't be opposed by Satan still. You will. But it does remind us, it does encourage us that in the middle of trials and persecution and difficulties, even persecution to death, that nothing that is occurring is outside of the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And that He, in the midst of all of that, is working for your good, for His glory, and for the building of His church. Amen? Amen. So, let's take it back to where we started this conversation. When God sends us into dark places, when God sends us as missionaries to foreign lands where the Gospel's not allowed to be preached, when He sends us to Salem where it's a darker city, where there's a lot of demonic activity, where He sends you down the street to talk to your neighbor, you go with all authority in heaven and on earth through Christ. And you go now with a sense of confidence if you understand that. With humility, with winsomeness, but you go with a confidence in the authority of Christ. Amen? So when you ask me, are you sure? Yes. Yes. When they remind me of the darkness, the occult, the enemies, the strong power of the enemy, yeah, I'm aware of all that. But I know where my authority rests. It rests in Christ Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Amen? He's the one who sends us. And the reality is that if you're a disciple, you're actually a descent, you are a sent one also. So let's look at that. What does it mean to be a sent one? Verse 19. And uh, the first part of 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. I think often that people, when they hear this, this, this verse, they think of missions. I mean, it is called the Great Commission. That's in, in, in where it's set up there in the passage. Your Bible probably says it too, the Great Commission. And it is a great commission. But I don't think necessarily that it's limited to some sort of international missions. In fact, I know it's not. When we think of missionaries, we often think of the role of the missionary is to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the lost in a different part of the world. Somewhere else. Some foreign country. Some nation way out there on the rim. Their job is to make disciples of those who will listen. Continue to disciple them in full maturity. But what happens if the place where the missionary goes doesn't have a church and people are getting 
saved. Hmm. Well, people are supposed to be saved and added to the church. That's what Acts 2 tells me, right? And if I read 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, I mean, that's what I keep reading again and again. There were this many saved this day, and they were baptized, and they were added to the church. So what we kind of automatically see is suddenly this missionary who was going out to this far place is really a church planter. And so missions is all really about church planting. It's about evangelism. It's about discipleship. And it's about church planting. And if all of those things are true and correct, then, then all of us can be missionaries in our local area. And I'm going to go into a little bit more of that. But all of us have that missionary or could have that missionary mindset that maybe we should have that missionary mindset. But I want to tell you that today's, that today's message is not about missions. It's about making disciples. And making disciples starts with you and it starts with me and it starts right here in our local church. Because before any missionary in the mindset of foreign missions, before any missionary is sent out, he or she was first discipled in their local church. It is from the local church, right here in King of Grace, for instance, that missions springs forth. It springs forth from a desire to see God glorified and worshipped by people all over the world. For there to be missions, there must be evangelism, there must be discipleship, there must be disciple-making, there must be church planting, but all of that springs from a desire to see God worshipped in all the earth. And so what we cultivate here at King of Grace is that desire to see God glorified, to see God worshipped, and lift it up. And we do that through disciple making. Jesus was sent by His Father to bring good news. The good news of God. That the promised Messiah had come. Jesus was sent to Israel and to the world so that they would know He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father but through Him. Jesus was also sent to make disciples. And He would spend three years of His life pouring into those who would follow Him. Jesus made disciples, and then before He ascended into heaven, He sent His disciples to go make disciples. Jesus sent His disciples to make disciples. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are also a disciple. And the message today belongs to you because you are also sent to make disciples. 
If you are a disciple, then you are also one who is sent to make disciples. So verse 19 in Matthew um, records Jesus' command, go and make, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, for many years, I thought the word go was really for missionaries. It was really this thing to, to go into the nations. And that the primary command here, I thought, was go. But that's not how you interpret the verse. Go isn't the command. Go is actually a modifier of the command, make disciples. And if I'm to translate that word, would it actually, the go word is actually as you go. So think about that for a second. How does that change things? As you go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. That takes the emphasis off of the go and puts the emphasis on make disciples of all nations. So how does that impact how we understand things if it's as you go? Well, if go isn't the command but a modifier, then it's more like as you go to Market Basket after church today, make disciples. Okay. As you take the kids to the soccer game, as you go to the soccer game, as you go to the swim meet, make disciples. As you go wherever you're going, make disciples. I think it's worth stopping for a moment and saying there's a lot of precedence, though, for someone being, getting a word from God that says, go. Go to this place, go to that place. So I'm not downplaying that at all. If God speaks to you and it's confirmed, you know, go to Zanzibar, go to Moldova, go to Brooklyn, wherever. If you get that word from God, then follow it. I do, I do think that that is something you should do, so I'm not downplaying that. But this passage in particular is saying, as you go, as you go about your daily business, remember you are being sent to make disciples. So let's take a look then at what it means so that we understand what is disciple making. If that's the command, the word to make disciples, we want to make sure that we know what it means to make disciples. And in fact, that's where the rubber meets the road in our faith and in our walk is in this disciple-making aspect. And I believe that disciple-making is a lifelong process for all believers. We are all being discipled, and we are all called to be disciplers. So let's look at that a little bit. I, personally, am always on the lookout for someone to disciple me. 
Now, some of you may think, you're a pastor. Why would you want someone to disciple you? Because I always want other men speaking into my life. I want guys who have been a little farther down the road, who are a little more mature, who have a gift in a certain area that I don't have or a skill set that I don't have. I want them pouring into my life. I want them challenging me. I want them testing me. I want them have them teaching me to do the things they do, modeling it for me so that I can see it. But I'm also always praying, God, give me someone to disciple. Give me someone new or someone who needs to be discipled so that I can be pouring into them the things that God's poured into me. So it's going up. I'm looking for someone to be discipled by and I'm always looking for someone to disciple to pour into. Now, th- discipling's an interesting thing. It doesn't always go like, oh, I'm going to disciple you for the rest of your life. No, sometimes it's a month, two months. There's guys I've met with, I pour into them, and, and they got what they needed, and they move on. And there's other people I've been in relationships for, for years, and I hope they continue. And you may be discipled by multiple people at one time. Like I have at various points, four and five people discipling me in different aspects of my life. And I think that's good. Because what it brings in is all these different gifts of the body that we have. And that's sort of what I want uh, to think about a little bit. You all have gifts that you're given. And discipling allows you to bring those out. That disciple making. Say your gift is being... Um, hospitable. The gift of hospitality. What does that look like if you're making a disciple and you're using that gift and you're discipling someone in that? Well, it means that you're out on the outlook for people who are have that gift of hospitality. And you bring them in. And you start having them do things with you so that they see it modeled. This is what hospitality looks like. And maybe you're talking to them. Here's why I do this. Because I get, I I know that God is glorified in this and that the church is built up and strengthened. And you've got verses maybe that God's given you and you share them with that person. See, they're seeing your experience. How has it shaped you? What's your testimony about hospitality? How it's shaped you? How it's given you joy? How you've seen God glorified in that? And as you go, just about your daily business or the stuff you're doing here at church, that person is being built up. They're being strengthened. They're being encouraged in that gift. They're seeing how you model it. And then at some point you're saying, okay, here's something for you to do now in the realm of hospitality. So now they're practicing it. They're the ones doing it. And then they're launched. And they're sent. And what should they be doing now? They're looking for someone to 
disciple, to bring in, to train up in that gift. And that's one example. There's other ones. There's lots of them. Maybe it's the maybe you're you're teaching and training up people because um, you have a teaching gift, and you're able to do that. You're able to meet with people and and really teach them. Well, that's a precious gift as well, and I encourage you to use it in your disciple making. Um, I think one of the things that we do as disciples, we think about disciple making and we think about it, it's kind of advanced. It's what you do after you become a believer. But I think that's scripturally incorrect as well because disciple making starts all the way back before you're a Christian. How many of you, the first time you heard about the gospel, boom, it was an evangelistic message, just straight up. Here's the gospel. Here's the four parts of the gospel. Boom. I mean, some of you may. But lots of you probably ran into someone who was a believer who told you some things about God who then you were, because God was moving, you were receptive to that and so they started telling you more about it. What had God done in in their lives? How He had transformed their lives? Maybe you went to an Alpha course. And in that Alpha course, you started hearing about the Gospel. Someone was discipling you through an, event, through an Alpha course. Someone, maybe you, went to a, uh, you met with somebody and they started just walking you through the book of Mark. You weren't even a believer yet, but you were interested. So they took time to go through the book of Mark with you. And somewhere in that process, they intentionally share the Gospel with you. Somewhere in the middle of an Alpha course, somebody intentionally shared the Gospel with you. See, that's part of disciple-making. Is that early stage stuff where we're walking somebody into the faith, where we're telling them about the faith long before they're a believer. That was probably a two-year process for me. Looking back at it now, I, I wouldn't have said that at the time, but that's what was going on. People were taking time to tell me about it, stirring my interest in it. God was at work and moving. And there's four things. Now, when you get to that point, because it's great that you're telling them all about the Gospel and the church and, and just different th- aspects of it, but at some point, you've got to tell them how to become a believer. You've got to give them an evangelistic message. And it has four parts to it. And I'm going to go through those really quick. For you to be able to give an evangelistic message to somebody as you're doing the disciple making, it has four parts. You've got to tell them about God. You've got to tell them that God is sovereign over all things. He's the creator of all things. That He, has, that he is perfectly righteous and just. And that He has a law that He's given. It's a way we're supposed to live. And that is a perfectly just and right law. And if you break that law, it means death. That's what you get for breaking the law. There's a death sentence that comes with that. You've got to tell them about man. Man was created by God. Man 
broke God's rules. God has given us these laws, and we, every one of us, have rebelled against God. We have defied His laws. We've broken His laws. We have sinned against Him. And because we've sinned against Him, we have incurred a death penalty upon us. And there's nothing we can do to get out of it. The third thing you've got to tell them is about Jesus. Jesus came to be our Savior. He was sent by God to save us. He came to be our Redeemer. He came to pay a price we could not pay, which He did upon the cross where He took our sins upon Himself and God poured out His wrath on Christ until He was dead so that our sins could be forgiven. And you've got to tell them that God raised Christ from the dead. And that now we, because of that, have hope of eternal life. And the way to get that is to place your faith in Jesus Christ. To say, I don't want to live the way I lived anymore. Please forgive me, Jesus. I want to live for you. Please lead my life. It's that kind of simple kind of process that you walk them through. And if they've done those things, if they declare Jesus Christ as Lord, if they've asked for forgiveness, and they've said, I want to follow Jesus, then they're a believer. But that leads us to that fourth point. They had to respond. You can't tell them about it, and there's no, there's no response. You can't hear the message of Jesus Christ that He's offering you salvation and you not respond. There has to be. There is always a response. It's either no or it's yes. And if they say, I want to follow Christ, if they say, I want to be forgiven, and I do believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, then they've said yes. And if they reject it, if they reject it, there's no hope. But I'll tell them again. And I'll tell them again. And if, and if I'm given the opportunity up until they take their last breath, I'll be telling them again. Because I want them, desperately want them to see the glory of God. To be free of their sin. And to enjoy life in Christ forever. Amen? And that's what disciple making is. That's the first part of disciple. That's part of disciple making. And we're all called to make disciples. And I want you to know that wherever you're called to go, as you go, Christ says, I'm going to go with you. And that's the last part of verse 20. That He goes with us. He says, I am with you to the end of the age. That's His promise to us. It's His promise to me going into Salem. It's His promise to you going to the far reaches of the world. It's His promise to you going to see your next door neighbor. 
I am with you to the ends of the earth. I am sending you as disciple makers, but I'm not sending you alone. You're going with my authority and my presence. My presence will always be with you. You will never do this alone. And that should be an encouragement to us. As much as His authority is an encouragement to us, how much more so His presence. And if you don't believe it, He gives you the indwelling of His Holy Spirit. Amen? That's His presence with you. He goes before you. He makes a way. You never have to be alone. If I have the band come up. In Sovereign Grace, we have the shared principle of church planting, outreach, and global missions. And I am glad to be part of that family of churches. I'm grateful that we belong to churches who seek to raise disciples, who seek to raise up called men to make disciples, to plant churches, to go into the missions field. I'm grateful that we have a culture of church planting and missions because this church exists because they had that mentality. And they sent up Paul and his team to plant a church. We're here today because of that. Churches in Manchester and East Cambridge are there today because of that mentality. By God's grace, a church will be in Salem next year because we are part of a family of churches that have that mentality. And those churches will also plant churches. We're part of a legacy. And it's a good thing. So let me challenge you this week, this year, in a couple of ways to think through disciple making. I think we have a slide for that. First, ask God to give you someone to enter into disciple-making relationship with. Someone who can disciple you and potentially someone you can disciple. Ask God for opportunities for you to share the gospel. Ask Him for names of people. Ask Him to give you the eyes to see those opportunities and the courage to take them. Knowing that you go with His authority and that he's with you. Start praying for your children and your grandchildren, even if you don't have grandchildren yet, even if you don't have children yet. Start praying for them anyway. That God would use them to take the gospel into places where it has not yet been preached. That's how I pray. I pray for my kids, and I pray for my grandkids. I don't have any yet, grandkids, that is. But I pray for them. And I pray that God would use them to proclaim His glorious gospel in places where it has not yet been spoken. And if it costs them their very lives, then I, I pray that they count it all joy. And I never, I pray that I never let fear slow them down or get in the way so that I would say, oh, that's a dark place. Don't go there. Because it may cost you your life. May God's gospel 
always be more valuable and more worthy to us than our lives, or the lives of our children, or the lives of our grandchildren. May his gospel always be more worthy. And finally, pray about getting involved. Involved in not just disciple-making, but a church plant, in missions. Whether it's going yourself, whether it's praying for one, whether it's giving financially, get involved. Amen? Amen.